From KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked. Our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm news director, Tyler Pratt. On today's show, we dive into healthcare access in our region and across Wyoming. An assisted living facility on the other side of Togati Pass is trying to reach more of the state's aging population. You keep trying to persuade people, but it's not easy. People in Wyoming are very independent. And one reporter is investigating the causes and impacts of Wyoming's maternity desert. One OBGYN told me that five providers in recent years have either closed or moved out. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Thanks for tuning in today. Abortion access in Wyoming has been at the forefront of many people's minds this year and last year as well. The state has made repeated attempts to ban most abortions in 2022 and 2023. Those bans have landed in court, which has continued to keep abortion legal in the state. Right now, the issue before a Teton County court is abortion health care. The Wyoming Constitution gives people the right to make their own health care decisions. Republican lawmakers tried to get around that provision in the spring by passing a near-total ban on abortion, defining it as not health care. But a group of abortion access advocates sued the state, saying it's an essential medical need. The judge hasn't issued a ruling. However, no matter the decision, the future of women's reproductive rights is expected to end up before the state's Supreme Court. Many residents feel passionately about abortion access. This includes two longtime Wyoming residents, Carolyn and Susan Mick, who met for the first time for a One Small Step conversation last month. One Small Step is a StoryCorps initiative that connects people for one-on-one conversations. It brings people with different beliefs and backgrounds together to discover common ground. Lynn is a conservative from Casper who drove to Jackson to meet Mick, who is a progressive. Both women are in their 60s, each have raised two children into adulthood while also working professionally. As we will hear, they both feel strongly about how our state should legislate on abortion. Here's a portion of their recent conversation. You say you're a feminist in many ways, but believe abortion kills an innocent life. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your beliefs around that, or why, how the feminism sort of ties into, you know, your beliefs around that. Yeah, well, a big part of that would be how do you define feminism? Right, you know? of course. Um, you know, I consider myself a feminist because I just don't believe that women are second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. I'm just a fully actuated person, you know. I've been basically in in one way or another in the sales profession ever since I decided not to go into education. Mm -hmm. And I've always been in a man's world, and I don't shrink back from it. Um, We Even in a Bible study I was in recently, Mm -hmm. we were talking about Sarah and Abraham, and somebody in the Bible study said, well, Sarah couldn't give uh, Abraham a son. And it kind of, it triggered me. I said, well, Give. <laughs> how does how do you know it was her that wasn't the reason that she wasn't getting pregnant? You know things like that. I am just an advocate for like everybody for equal rights. Like, but if you're a woman and you've been like conscious since the 1960s and 70s, I was young, but I was old enough to hear the arguments that came up during the Equal Rights Amendment and during the debate about Roe versus Wade and 
you know, you 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 kind of get the impression that well, if you're a woman, then you have to, you have to believe what these people are saying because they're speaking for the women. But I listened with an open mind as I was really young, and I. But when I saw what abortion is, it actually is. When I saw the baby parts torn to pieces in pictures, mm-hmm. it was settled. That's a baby. I would never have an abortion ever. It's wrong. People don't necessarily look at the fundamental aspect of it. They look at a lot of other aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel like a feminist would say, maybe a true feminist would say to me, well, you're not a very good feminist if you would tell a woman that having an abortion would be killing her baby. You know, my answer would be, (laughs) I would never want to condemn anybody for what they do, but I would certainly want to tell them what I think is the truth and offer my help Mm -hmm. in any way I could give it so that this wouldn't happen. That's how I feel about it. It's nice to hear that it's really a per, more of a personal belief for you where you said you wouldn't want to have an abortion. And I don't believe that other people should. And you know what's happening in Wyoming. We have a judge that mm-hmm. put a stay on um, a law that was passed overwhelmingly by our legislature, you know, without being vetoed by the governor. Although I feel strongly I don't want any baby to be aborted, I also see that you can't force people to do things or believe things. And then if you don't have a conversation, if you don't care about people, if you don't love people and show them that you're loving, mm-hmm. you're just going to make it, especially an issue like this, way worse. Mm-hmm. I guess my problem with all of it or how I, how I view it for myself and my belief system is that, you know, the, why is the government getting involved in what I do with my body? And there is also a man involved in this that pretty much gets a, you know, a buy on the whole thing. Um, and I suppose a little bit I think about um, what I, I hear uh, the other side, and maybe it's the radical other side, perhaps, that I, I hear about. Um, that I certainly think that that could be true, but wanting to do away with many of the social safety nets that might actually help children like this that are born into perhaps families that are compromised and aren't able to support them or, or whatever. So just the, the social safety nets seem like those are being taken away while at the same time we're taking women's right away to choose whether she is able, whether she gets to have this young being in her life or not. Um, the man seems to not really have to have any responsibility and we're going all the way to the government level in my view um, in terms of telling us what to do with this child in this life. Um, and what about getting worse, right? What about the, the family? We, what about yeah. the man? What about the man's family? What about, you yeah. know, the woman's family? Or what? There's so many other rungs down the ladder that it could go to instead of that all the way down to the, go- all the way up to the government level immediately. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, I'd like to hear what, it's, how it's you re- think yeah, about that. Yeah, it's really that. interesting to hear your perspective on it. Um, you know, of course, we have a fundamental difference on on the first part of what you said, but then mm-hmm. everything else, like, wow, we could talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the fundamental issue is just that, you know, I see that the the baby is in someone's body, so it's not her body that she's talking about totally. That's mm-hmm. a kind of fundamental thing, and that that's you know that's a stumbling block, I guess. You know, in the whole thing. I think you're right. But um, but you know, you raised some really good points. Like you know, what about the men? Like for the man to have no responsibility is not good. Um, for the the fact that some women are, and especially young girls, are kind of coerced to. Um, and pregnancies because maybe to cover up something that, you know, was done illegally against her or a boyfriend or even a husband sometimes. 
that's not okay. Um, and it's also very sad when a man fathers a baby and then the woman doesn't want to have the baby and then he has nothing to say about it and no rights. Um, and it's painful, you know, there's got to be compassion there. Mm -hmm. So like just the fact that we're sitting across from the table talking about it and not getting angry mm -hmm. to me is beautiful because there's so many people that just get so ugly. You know, mm -hmm. I'm one of the people that stands in front of the the clinic in Casper with a sign, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a peaceful, silent protest. Um, and th there's a lot of people in that community that feel that same way. And, and one of the moral dilemmas for people who are pro-life is, well, if I agree like to legislation that says you can only have an abortion before 12 to 15 weeks or something, mm -hmm. they feel like they're an evil person themselves because they're saying that that would be okay and they don't feel like it's okay. But couldn't there be some things that we could join together on? Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear. I mean, I know that there's a middle in somewhere, and like you said, compromising somewhere where one side has, both sides have to come together in the middle to compromise somehow. If we can. I mean, um, I'm the one who always gets in trouble from both sides because, <laughs> you know, yeah. the left people, they know I'm not going to go all the way to their left Right. And then my people, I'm always the one who's saying, well, let's look at this. Yeah. Let's look at ourselves. Do you think mm -hmm. we could be maybe doing something a different way? Yeah, how can we be better? Yeah, I think both sides have strong feelings, especially around this topic. So, yeah, thanks for sharing and yeah. talking about a difficult topic. Thank you. Yeah. Wyoming residents Susan Mick and Kara Lynn during their One Small Step conversation, a nationwide initiative from StoryCorps and K2L that aims to mend political divisions one conversation at a time. This was produced by K2L's Allison Sperry. StoryCorps, One Small Step, and the radio station hubs are made possible by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. Teton County has very few options for assisted living for senior citizens. In 2021, the county's only facility closed, deemed financially infeasible, leaving the population scrambling to find a way to grow older in the region when they need a little extra help. But there's an option a little more than an hour and a half away in Du Bois, working to create community and connection for its residents. Through activities and adventure drives, they hope to provide a place that respects independence. Wyoming Public Radio's Hannah Haberman reports on how the center is trying to appeal to more of Wyoming's aging population. On a Friday morning, Sue Harbison is getting her hair done before heading out to lunch in Lander with friends. But Harbison's not at your average salon. She's at Warm Valley Lodge, an assisted living facility in Dubois. The facility offers a busy calendar of activities for its residents, including twice a week visits to an in-house salon. The former school teacher is in her early 70s and grew up in Arkansas. Her daughter lives in Jackson, and Harbison moved to Warren Valley as she started having some problems with her memory. I got my hair done. What else? Where am I going? You're going Lander with you. With Lois, yes. I love Wyoming. Harbison is one of 11 residents who currently lives at Warren Valley Lodge. Their motto is, life celebrated, independence respected. The facility provides cooking, cleaning, programming, and medical support for the people who live there. Out in the lodge's spacious, light-filled entry room, Dick and Kathy Hodge are sitting next to a large stone fireplace in big, comfy armchairs. We've been in here, what, about four years? 
close three and a half, four years now. Before the couple moved in, Dick was actually the president of the board of Warm Valley, which opened 10 years ago. Dick, who's now 89, said that back then, the two never thought about living there themselves. But then my knees were going bad. You were having trouble doing a little walking. Kathy says her favorite part of being at Warm Valley is simple. Being served three meals a day. I'm done cooking. The couple still have a car and attend the lodge's exercise classes and weekly happy hours. Dick says their transition to the lodge was easy. It fits us and I think it would fit a lot of people. He adds that he thinks a lot more people in the area could benefit from living at Warm Valley. And there are vacancies. But he recognizes that people have to be mentally ready to make the change. You keep trying to persuade people, but it's not easy. People in Wyoming are very independent. Wyoming's senior population is on the rise. According to a 2023 report from the Healthy Wyoming Aging Coalition, more than 16% of the state is 65 and older. And that demographic has grown nearly 50% in the last decade, way more than any other age group. With 13 open rooms, Warm Valley has the space to help meet the needs of the state's aging population. But as Dick says, independence is important to seniors, which is why the facility really wants to support that autonomy. Marcy Leesburg is a big part of that. She grew up in nearby Crowheart and understands that living in rural Wyoming requires a lot of self-reliance. So it's hard for some to even think of going to an assisted living facility. They go screaming and fighting and kicking. They don't want to leave their home. That's the hardest part. They need taken care of, but they're like, I'm not leaving my home. A big part of bringing more people to Warm Valley is making sure they've got plenty of fun things to do, which is Leesburg's job. She plans all the activities, which include playing bingo, going on scenic car rides, and listening to live music at the Dubois Museum. I just try to think out of the box of what, if I was that age, what I would want to be doing. After lunch, Leesburg and a few residents head out for a drive to Three Lakes, an area at the base of the Wind River Mountains, about 10 miles outside of Dubois. All right, everybody buckled in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we go. The car winds along a bumpy Forest Service dirt road through open fields of sun-gold grass. Jim Yonick is one of the residents along for the ride. He grew up in Idaho and has been at Warm Valley for about three years. Well, I was over in Jackson. I've got a son that lives in Jackson. Oh, cool. And I moved to Jackson to be by them. And then I was staying in uh, Legacy Lodge out there. And then it closed up, so then I come over here. Yannick is quiet for the first part of the drive. But as Leesburg pulls the car up alongside a group of mule deer and bighorn sheep, they both light up. I'm so excited. Come here. Look at that one there. Look at it. There's a nice ram there. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh, where's my phone? Seeing the animals seems to open up a box of memories for Yannick. He shares a story about having a conversation with elk out in the mountains on a hunting trip. And I bugled and they'd bugle right back, but I never did see them. But I bugled to them for about 15 minutes and they'd just answer me just as soon as I let a bugle out. The ability to spend time with the wildlife and landscapes of Wyoming is important to Yannick. He goes on every scenic ride he can, and he doesn't have plans to stop anytime soon. For Wyoming Public Radio, I'm Hannah Haberman. Thank you.
if you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Jackson Unpacked is generously sponsored by the Snake River Sporting Club. At nearly 1,000 acres, this private western community accesses the Snake River and Bridger Teton National Forest, not to mention a golf course, equestrian center, and fully functioning ranch. More information about excursions, amenities, and lifestyle at snakeriversportingclub.com. You're listening to the sounds of all-female band, The Balsam Roots, in the KHOL studio. Voted Best Musical Act of Teton Valley, Idaho in both 2022 and 2023, the four-piece band blends together original and traditional bluegrass, Americana, and old-time music. The band consists of four women connected through friendship and a shared love of acoustic-driven music. This is their cover of the Towns Van Zant song, Still Looking For You. You can find more local music and interviews with artists from our region over at 891k2l.org. Thanks for tuning in to KHOL. I'm Tyler Pratt. We've been reporting recently about the lack of women's healthcare options in the region following the closure of two OBGYN clinics in Jackson this year. The entire state of Wyoming also has a growing maternity care shortage. Wildfiles' Katie Klingsporn has taken the time to dig into the causes and impacts of the lack of resources for expecting mothers in the state. Her investigative work is being released throughout December, every Wednesday. The first article told the stories of many families who have upended their lives to find care. Wyoming Public Radio's Camila Kodowska asked Klingsporn to share one of those stories. First, I will say they they were all sort of harrowing. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, having a baby is a really big deal, even in cases when it goes quote unquote smooth, maybe an exemplary story would be um, the woman Bailey. She had a lot of complications in her first pregnancy and her first labor, and she ended up getting life flighted and her daughter was born via C-section five weeks early. And so when it came, when she got pregnant again and she started looking around for options, knowing that she was high risk, she didn't feel comfortable with what Fremont County had to offer her. Um, So she decided to go to Salt Lake City and have her baby. And she ended up having a VBAC, which um, is a vaginal birth after cesarean. And you can't do it in most Wyoming hospitals. They just don't allow it because of the risk for rupture. It, it kind of was really telling of a lot of our shortages. Regarding those shortages, uh, you kind of focus on, on Fremont County. So if you can talk about how, you know, maybe even five years ago, there, there didn't seem to be a problem and how that has um, changed. Fremont County is not unique in this. It's, it's kind of this bad coincidence, these factors converging all at once. And 
Um, one doctor told me, you know, she believes a big part of it is that there are a lot of OBGYNs who are sort of in the same age group and they're all hitting retirement age. So a lot of people are leaving, but 2021, 2020, um, there was a independent practice at the clinic. There were two OBs and two midwives. And then there was a private practice with an OB and, um, the hospital here, the OB has to be on call at all times, even if the midwife is delivering the baby in case the need for a cesarean section or surgery comes up. So that's why the OBs are such a crucial part of the puzzle. They always need to be available. You know, things just happen. One of the OBs had a medical issue and he ended up leaving. And uh, one of the midwives decided to pursue something else. And all of a sudden it was down to two OB and a nurse midwife. And that OB uh, who's in my second story he just got really burnt out. He's been doing it for a long time. The call schedule is very onerous when you're sharing it with one other person. I think it was an agonizing decision, but he walked away. So now we're down to, there is one OB here. He has a midwife also. If a woman goes into labor, she will be able to deliver her baby at, at Sagewest Hospital in Lander. Um, but there is a greater chance that she will deliver with uh, locums, which is a traveling doctor. And for pregnant women, like the idea of delivering with a doctor who you've never met or never seen before um, can cause a lot of anxiety and it's just not something they want to do. It's like a revolving door, you know, someone retires, that puts a burden on someone else and then they feel like they can't do it anymore. Um, and it's putting a burden on on the rest of the facilities in the state that exist. Uh, so if, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how there only being one OB in Fremont County, how that's putting more pressure to other communities in the state. Yeah, a lot of w- Fremont County women are choosing to go to Hot Springs Health in Thermopolis. Their demand is growing because of that. But, you know, when I talked to the lander doctor, he said it used to be that people would come here from elsewhere, and now it feels like it's reversed. Um, so there are also quite a few patients who go to Jackson, and Jackson is having its own version of the crunch. Unfortunately, several providers there have recently stepped away as well. I think um, one OBGYN told me that five providers in recent years have either closed or, or moved out. And I know that you still have a couple of more uh, parts of this series that come out and that they might look at some solutions. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? It's a really tricky situation and, and everybody agrees that it it is hard and it, it's not good. And, you know, there's community leaders who say like we, we have to have a hospital and a birth birthing facility in order to build a strong community, you know, for our economic future. Out of the ideas that people have thrown around, one concrete solution is what happened, what has been happening in Riverton. Um, you know, some residents got together, created a medical district, and they are building a community-owned hospital in Riverton and Part of that is in response to the services that were closed at the Riverton Sage West campus. One of those services is OB. 
Um, another solution I think can be found on the reservation at Wind River Cares and IHS where they're just concentrating a lot of energy and resources into building out their OB team and as well as other support services. For example, they have a really robust transportation um, assistance for their patients if they need to, you know, have or be referred to specialists elsewhere. Um, and they have nurses who are basically assigned a family. So when the women become pregnant, they feel like they have like a team tracking them and looking out for them. Thank you so much, Katie, for speaking with me. Yeah, thanks, Camilla. Wild Files, Katie Klingsmore, speaking with Wyoming Public Radio's Camila Kudeska about the state's growing maternity care shortage. This is Jackson Unpacked. Before we take off today, let's have a bit of fun on the slopes. Thousands of people took to Jackson Hole Mountain Resort recently, including this news director and the entire KHOL staff to break the world record for skiing in jeans. Hannah Mersbach reports from a Bluebird Day on the mountain. It's about 20 degrees and super sunny at the base of Jackson Hole Resort's two gondolas, and it's a sea of denim. Ski instructor Ren Hoffman is practicing her disco moves near a live band. So we have a full Canadian tux with a disco helmet and a lot of glitter on. A Canadian tux is all denim. Some are wearing denim shorts or even the occasional jean speedo. Others tuck in snow pants under their denim. Dylan Reuter dons a brown cowboy hat, thrift store jeans, and rainbow pit viper glasses. I'm a coastal cowboy just looking to shred some pal. He and some friends from Newport Beach, California, saw the resort advertising on social media that it was attempting to break the world skiing and jeans record. We all immediately bought tickets and booked a little lodging and came out. The resort says skiing in jeans is a way to kick off the winter season and say a record is something people can latch on to. Colorado's Arapahoe Basin claimed the title in 2020 when 80 people wore denim on the slopes. This year, a New Zealand report topped them with just over 100. 1365, 1366, 1367. I'm not counting you until you come back in jeans. Blaine Gillilad is recording the numbers as skiers file in under an inflatable black archway. We broke the record like three minutes in, or like by 8.30 before we even opened. The resort was offering lift tickets for $25 and sold out. Day tickets typically go for about 200 bucks here. Kelly Worth, who's from Jackson, says that can make skiing unattainable. It's kind of becoming an elitist sport, which is sad, so it's fun to get back to the jeans and remember the good old days. In a group of women wearing bright pink boas, Worth says people wear jeans when they can't afford snow pants. The latest high-tech brands can go for hundreds of dollars. Nowadays, many see skiing in jeans as a joke, something you do on April Fool's or closing day. But according to Reuter, the coastal cowboy... Skiing in jeans is freedom, that's what it is. Skiing in jeans is freedom. The final tally of skiers in jeans, 3,114. Hannah Mersbach, KHL News. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band, Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is KHOL, Jackson. <laughs>